0: The scripture reading for today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. But brothers, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning and welcome again to Holy Trinity. Uh, Jesse, thank you for the announcement on the brackets. Just wanna say that my wife is in third place out of 16 in our bracket, way to go, Amy. And I'm in fifth place, so I'm about 70 points behind her. Um, So yeah, if you could just pray that Kansas wins, uh, that would be great. No, I do have Duke and Kansas in the final four, so I have them playing each other, so I'm, I'm doing okay still. I, just, I do wanna say thank you to all of those who showed up on Thursday night to help us move in. Um, some of you are, are brand new this morning and are trying to like put some pieces together about what the heck these people are talking about, about space and things like that. But um, we met in a building for about 14 years, um, north of the river and then COVID kind of bounced us out. And then a year, really two years ago, we went virtual in our services. And then for a year, we've been bouncing around at hotels. So we signed a five-year lease at a location at 218 South Wabash. So that's kind of what's happening, but it has been um, pretty dramatic for those of us who are kind of closer to the action on this to watch what's happening. It was only actually five weeks ago that we went before the zoning board at the city of Chicago. Um, so for us to actually be moving in right now is is pretty astounding. Uh, even the the little tidbit that you're hearing about the chairs is kind of humorous because we knew that we could order some chairs for us to have there. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long it was going to take, but maybe like six weeks or something like that. We knew we would have them before the first service, but you know, with supply chains backing up and things like that, we didn't know it was gonna happen. So somebody said, I'll just fly there and drive them back. So on Thursday night, um, Ryan Tyke and Julie Mers pulled in in this, I think it was a 21-foot truck. Big round of applause for Julie and Ryan. Thank you for all of your work, you guys. And uh, in some ways, also I'll just say, Uh, this is kind of a milestone for Holy Trinity Church. I I need to count how many different places we've met in the last 24 years. But this is actually the first place in 24 years that we'll ever have uh, 24-7. So it's the first time in 24 years that we're not in a hotel on a Sunday or we're not in some space that doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to us either, but we get to be there. Uh, We can use it all week long. So we're thankful for that. We do have kind of a sobering text for us, so turn to your Bible, if you would, and keep it open. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1-9 is is a kind of warning, and it's a warning about (laughs) being immature, basically. (laughs) Or it's a warning against uh, immature Christians, being immature Christians. And the warning could be stated this way, that uh, the local church, in the local church, God's power needs to flow through personality, but the personality needs to allow the Spirit of God to be supreme. So in the local church, God takes the personalities of the people who are musicians or artists or mothers or teachers and animates them with his spirit and his power. But there is a time at which human personality can become supreme and the spirit be put to the side. And that is what was happening in the first century church. In other words, great talent can quote-unquote grow a church through human ingenuity. But there's great danger in allowing human personality to take over the church. And I'm just going to ask you for a moment to think of uh, in, in the last five years or six years of the fall of any particular leader, Christian leader that you might think of. And without mentioning any names, there are probably five or six or seven or eight leaders that you could bring to your mind who were so incredibly talented, such powerful speakers. Uh, The the one who kind of lights up the room when they enter into the room and remarkably, God was somehow working through those individuals, and then at some point, their personality and their human weakness started to take over, and they crossed a line and had a great fall. Why is it a danger for human personality to take over the church? Well, the, da- the danger is obvious, because every human leader is flawed, as... Uh, Coleman prayed just a moment ago. It's really the cross of Jesus Christ that unifies the church. And no human leader possibly can unify the whole church. So this kind of party spirit of, I follow this guy, I follow this person, I follow this person, ends up being divisive. And we have to be aware of the signs and the marks and the dangers that say that a church is becoming really more about the human personality than the divine project of God. And I think what Paul is doing in this text is saying, watch for the markers. Be a savvy people. Know the difference between the church as it's veering off towards a human project and the church." as it's continuing on the path of a divine project. What does that look like? What are the dangers? I know for a fact that some of you this morning are still licking your wounds from a previous church where you saw someone fall, someone you trusted, someone that you looked up to who gave in to their own Flesh. And you saw the dangerous of human personality emerging. Mike Cosper, the director of podcasts at Christianity Today, writes this. In many ways, it's an old story from King David to Ted Haggard. We see leaders rise to power and discover both a sinful sense of entitlement and an opportunity to indulge it. That's often what happens as people quote-unquote climb the ladder of uh, celebrity ministry there's not only a sense of entitlement but then there's an opportunity to indulge in it kasper goes on and is referring to his the rise and fall of Mars Hill and he says um, what what began to be seen behind the scenes was an abusive culture of manipulation and domineering all oriented around the feeling that the congregational spiritual and numerical Growth was bound up in a leader who was too big to fall. He says, In telling this story, we found that churches and ministries found success when they organized themselves around the talent and the vision of a single leader. And when conflicts or questions of character emerged, all of the incentives were stacked in the leader's favor. The Apostle Paul is writing to a context that is very similar to our north american context today a celebrity oriented culture there's a group of people who were the teachers who were the philosophers in the first century who were called sophists and the people who were the most profound speakers the most eloquent teachers the ones who had the most power in the way that they spoke were the ones that were lifted up and when the apostle paul as i said a couple weeks ago probably a short bald, bow-legged man uh, stood up to speak, They're like, who is this guy? How come he doesn't have the megachurch pastor's shoes on? How come he doesn't speak the language of the hip culture of Corinth? What Paul was afraid of was that the people were losing their grip on the message of Christianity, which is that A sovereign king was crucified on a cross. What a picture of human weakness and not human power. So the title of my message today is The Dangers of Personality for the Local Church. And what Paul is claiming in these verses 1 to 9 is that there's two ways to look at the local church. One way you might call in verses 1 to 4 the human project. And then the second way, in verses 5 to 9, is kind of a divine project. And he's, he's giving out some warnings about this is what it looks like when a church is moving towards immaturity. And he mentions some characteristics, like immaturity and jealousy and division. And uh, so I just want to look at those two sections with you. And what I really want you to do as a kind of takeaway is to keep the cross of Jesus right at the center... So that you're thinking about his work on the cross as the one who can unify every human personality, powerful and weak, the the rich and the poor, men and women, adults and children. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us to see the church as you see it, as a divine project that you are working on. And give us the signs to guard us from the danger of following human personality rather than you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So verses 1 to 4, the church is a human project, and I'll state the point this way, that the local church can drift towards immaturity when it elevates human personality. So whenever the personality of the individual leader or leaders is elevated, the church drifts towards immaturity. You can see this in in particular in the the last part of verse 4 where it says, for when one says, "I follow Paul and another, "I follow Apollos," are not you being merely human?" In other words, you're investing yourself merely in the human leader. There's a, there's a book by Nietzsche, and I'm just grabbing the title of it that's called "Human: All Too Human." And uh, he wrote it because of, it, he wrote it after a break that he had with Wagner, the musician. but it expresses, for me, the title does. The kind of sigh of the Apostle Paul as he looks at the Corinthian church just saying, you're human. You're just all too human. And the church is, is not a personality cult of Apollos or Paul. And if it ever becomes one of any particular leader, then it is in great danger. Now, when I, as soon as I say that, it's like, well, yeah, duh, that's obvious and true. And yet, that's what's been happening in North American evangelicalism over the last 20 years is somehow celebrity culture has been lifted up. So what are some of the marks here of the church merely as a human project? It's actually pretty straightforward. I'm just gonna give you a few signs, three or four of immaturity when the church is drifting towards a human project. The first one is milk, not meat. He says in verses one to two, says I could not address you as spiritual people But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it, and now, even even now you are not ready for it. This is odd because Paul planted this church, and it's interesting because he's not actually saying the problem is with him, like he doesn't know how to preach meaty sermons. He's saying the problem is with you because you can't eat meat. Imagine if you go to one of Chicago's fine uh, steakhouses, Gibson's or somewhere else, wherever you like supposedly Chicago has the most steakhouses per square mile than any city. Now you're going to be looking that up during this point. But imagine you go there and you say, look, I'm going to have a ribeye steak, a bone-in ribeye, and you order it, and the waiter or waitress comes back and gives you like a little sippy cup and some applesauce and says, that's for you. Um, you part of what Paul is saying is that the church that you become a part of should be serving you meat. It should be serving you steak. And if you think of churches today have become oriented more and more sort of towards entertainment to the point where it's almost that the church is indistinguishable, say, from a concert, or the church is indistinguishable from going to the movies, so that a sermon series is really about what you can learn from the contemporary movies of the day the apostle paul is saying that that is a mark just eating milk all the time imagine how stunted someone would be if they only drank milk he's saying i mean this is an insult really he's trying to insult them you're a bunch of babies is what he's saying you're a bunch of infants at the moment that's the first warning it's a mark of immaturity put it i'm putting in the contemporary context if you're part this is helping you think about the kind of church that you need to be a part of. You want to be in a church or you want to help build a church that feeds people meat, not just milk. Okay. The second characteristic or the second warning or, or mark of immaturity in the church as a human project is jealousy, division, and strife. Think of it this way, that celebrity culture inevitably leads to jealousy and strife because it's so focused on the human flesh. The, the word flesh here is, is contrasted with the word spiritual. He says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as, spirit, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. And he's talking about, he's not talking necessarily just about the physical flesh, he's talking about all the kind of human desires that we have, which are not necessarily wrong, but kind of coarse within us. And he's contrasting that with the Spirit of God Being within us, and he's saying that if we primarily operate according to our desires—what we want, desire for comfort, desire for intimacy, desire, desire for sexual intimacy, desire for power—those kinds of things, then eventually the church is going to have these kinds of things in it: division, jealousy, and strife. Maybe, maybe a way to interpret uh, the word "strife" there is sort of like drama. Um When the peace of God is on a church, the presence of God is on a church. and when this kind of competitive um, dissension is within the church it's it 's become a very human place and that 's what Paul is saying here is that it 's a second mark the The explosion of technology in our culture has made poss- the possibility of celebrity culture to become a kind of almost infinite mosaic of mapping. And so what hap- what's happened today is this kind of digital and capitalistic segmentation of America has sold us into all of these little microcultures cultures v- where we view our way of looking at the world as being primary and being right. You can see this in the church, again, when people are like, well, this is the guy that I follow. And someone else says, this is the person that I follow. But it also happens politically as well. So that what can happen to churches is they become really um, operating platforms of a political party. So that the, on either side, left or right, so that the people's allegiance to Joe Biden or Donald Trump becomes higher and clearer to the world than someone's allegiance to Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that when you get so invested in personalities, whether it's a church personality or a political personality, inevitably division comes because, again, no person can possibly unite us. So that is a characteristic of an immature church or that, that we're moving in an immature direction milk not meat, jealousy and strife, and then just fleshliness and this kind of personality emphasis. You can see the personality emphasis, again, at the end of uh, that section, verse 4, for one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus. Are you not being merely human? We saw this in chapter 1. What I I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? There's a great section in um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together where he contrasts this idea of the the human and the spiritual. And I'm just going to read this to you, a little section, um, where he talks about the church being a spiritual and not a human reality. He says, because Christian community is founded solely on Jesus, it is a spiritual and not a psychic reality or a fleshly reality. it In this, it differs absolutely from all other communities. He's saying that the church is the one community in the world, the one institution in the world that has a spiritual connection to it rather than a human connection to it. So this is different than your tennis club. This is different than your sports club. He says... Um, It's created only by the Holy Spirit who puts Jesus Christ into our hearts as Lord and Savior. The scriptures use the term fleshly or human, which comes from natural urges, powers, and capacities of the human spirit. And again, if you think of some of the great falls in the last five or six years of Christian leaders, what began to happen to those leaders is as they ascended to a particular point of influence is it seemed as if they could take whatever they wanted for themselves. And it, it was, in a sense, their natural urges and powers and capacities. He says, here is where the humanly strong person is in his element, securing for himself the admiration, the love, and the fear of the weak. Here, human ties, suggestions, and bonds are everything. Thus, there is, something, there is such a thing as human absorption absorption. It appears in all the forms of conversions where the superior power of one person is consciously or unconsciously misused to influence profoundly and to draw into his spell another individual or whole community. Part of what Mike Cosper in this article in Christianity Today is talking about is that there's a backlash against how many falls there have been in in Christian culture in North America such that um, it almost creates an ongoing suspicion of anyone in authority, which the Apostle Paul, in one sense, is saying, that's right, you should be suspicious here. So those those are a few of the uh, variety of the, the signs that you might see in a, a church that's kind of drifting towards um, the human element, or, or church is a human project, this kind of human absorption. Milk, not meat. And then this jealousy and the strife, and then also this idea of uh, just kind of personality-driven context. What Paul does next after laying out kind of what does it look like to to be a church or this warning against the church in Corinth of of being specifically a human project is he moves from the immaturity that's rooted in personality to the maturity that is rooted you might think I'm going to say Christ, and Christ would be right, but also in mutuality. So what Paul does now is say that rather than the expression of an immature church which elevates certain personalities, there's a certain kind of mutuality in a truly biblical church where all of the gifts are being used by the people of God. That's what he expresses next. So Rather than asking what are the characteristics of a church that's swerving towards the human, here's a few characteristics of the church as a divine project. And uh, in a little bit we're going to sing um, we're going to sing about the, the, the blessing of the Lord and God's hand being upon us. The second half of this little section here is really about the idea that the church is not primarily something that we are doing, but it is a place where God is primarily working. And that what we need to do is take a step back and thank Him for His grace and for His mercy and His work in our lives. The language that he uses, if the, if the end of uh, the first section is Paul saying that the church is human, O to, o to human, the, the end of the second section is Paul saying, that you are God's field, that you are God's building. In other words, and he's not speaking individually, saying that the church is actually like the building of God that he's working on and he is building up. So rather than human personality being lifted up, human personality is being worked through in order to, to build something beautiful for God, but God is on the other side of it. So here's a couple characteristics of the divine project. The first one is, Humility. This is what a this is a mark that we should work for within the church in order to be the project of God that is not by human power or human influence. And it's humility. Look at what verse, verses, uh, verse five says. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. That's a that's a bit of a. Um, a lowering of the rank of Paul and Apollos in this culture where it's like, hey, let's lift up the most talented people. Paul says, he's basically saying, we're nothing but servants. And why is that? It goes back to what Joel preached on last week, that if the one who is the son of God was willing to become the servant of all, how in the world would the church be a place where personalities are exalted if the way of the Son of God is one of servanthood. That's what Paul is saying. Everyone, There's that saying that says, you know, everyone wants to be a servant until you're treated as a servant, right? Uh, Until somebody tells you what to do or bosses you around. But the highest calling of the church is humility. So rather than seeking a platform, which is what was happening in Corinth, What if God mobilized this community as a community? This is what I think you already are, is a community of servants. There is a kind of energy within this community to serve that is tangible. May that continue to grow. Be a church of servants. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, who um, founded a ministry called Labrie in Switzerland, came out of some pretty divisive context um, of Presbyterianism and, and a lot of division in uh, in the 50s and the 60s. And when he went to Switzerland, he had to rethink all of his his whole framework of Christianity. And he has this imagery that I just want to uh, lift up for you that has to do with what it looks like when the, the Lord's work is being done in the Lord's way. And he has these three concentric circles, and the first concentric circle is what you might call um, orthodoxy or kind of right theology. He says that, tr- true, churches need to, to believe certain things about who Christ is and what Christ has done. But he says if that's all there is, if a church is only focused on theology, then pride is going to eventually enter it, Right? If, if we just want to win the theological battle with someone else. That's the first circle, is correct theology. The second one is actually good training. He says, he says in the second circle, there needs to be good intellectual training. And what he's speaking of here is there needs to be a, an appropriate understanding of the culture that we live in. But again, if that's all we have, it leads to intellectualism, and it can also lead to pride. The inner circle, he says... After having right theology, after having an appropriate understanding of culture, he says, must be the the humble heart, the love of God, and the devotional attitude towards God. There must be the daily practice of the reality of the God whom we know is there. Listen to this. When each of these circles is established in its proper place, there will be tongues of fire and the power of the Holy Spirit, then at the end of my life, when I look back over my work, since I have been a Christian, I will see that I have not wasted my life. The Lord's work must be done in the Lord's way. Basically, what Paul is saying is whenever pride creeps in, then the Lord's work is not being done in the Lord's way. I don't know how good you are at saying, I'm sorry, I need to work on it, there's some great texts so in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about, and this is where humility comes in, about like being able to say, I'm sorry I wasn't patient. I'm sorry I wasn't kind. I'm sorry I insisted on my own way. This is what Paul is talking about in the local church. When it's a divine project, humility is there because the king of kings humbled himself. After humility, then comes uh, what you might call a second characteristic, which is mutuality and collaboration. Paul says in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And what we sometimes want to do is take credit for whatever part of it was that we did. Paul is saying, after humbling yourselves, also think about elevating others and then saying it was God that worked through us. There's no one person who is responsible for the establishing of the churches in the city of Chicago. That's a movement of God. There's no one person that's responsible for the establishing of Holy Trinity Church. It has been a work of God. One of the antidotes to building up human personality is viewing the work as a shared labor. If you think of the best leaders, what are the qualities of the best leaders when you congratulate them on a a great coach, when you say, look at what you've done, coach, always says, it was the team. It was the rest of them who did. I've never been able to get here except for them. And that's what Paul is saying here, saying, it wasn't me, it wasn't Apollos, it was both of us, but actually it was God who is giving the growth. That's why the unleashing of the people of God is so important. Like this isn't my church, all these churches. This is the church of God. And that's why the unleashing of, of God's people is so, so important. Last thing is after humility and then mutuality and collaboration is a deep sense of faith. You see what the Apostle Paul says here at the end. He says he has faith on two levels. One is he has faith that he's a co laborer for God. And that's the final song that we're going to sing is about God working through us in our labor to establish the work of his hands. And then also that we, are God's project, think about the humility it takes to look up to him and say, God, we like to say, I'm gonna go buy a field, I'm gonna go build a house, I'm gonna go do something. And here Paul is saying, no, God has bought you and made you into his field. God has bought you and made you into his household. There's no source of power for God's people, this is Schaefer, for preaching or teaching or anything else except Christ himself. And apart from Christ, anything which seems to be spiritual power is actually the power of the flesh. Doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is not merely a matter of being saved and then simply working hard after Jesus ascended, the disciples waited quietly for the, in prayer for the coming of the Spirit. And their first motion was not towards activism. Christ has risen, let us now be busy. Though they looked at the world with Christ's compassion, they obeyed his clear command to wait before they witnessed. If we who are Christians and therefore indwelt by the Spirit are to preach to our generation with tongues of fire, We must also have something more than an activism which men can easily duplicate. We must know something of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about human personality. Yes, God uses your personality. You're you. But it's about God's power working through who He's uniquely created you to be. The central problem of our age, Schaeffer goes on, is not liberalism or modernism nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, Catholicism nor the threat of communism nor even the threat of rationalism or the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. These are all dangerous but not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. So as we move out of this building, as we move into a new building, there could be a temptation to think we've done something on our own or that we don't need God's power. But all along, in this last year, if you remember a year ago, felt so strange at Easter to be seated with people like you hadn't seen for a year, you didn't know who they were, wearing masks on six feet apart. And my own sense is God has created us into a, a sweet community in the, in the last 12 months. But part of that comes from us continually depending upon him every step of the way. God lead us. God direct us. God guide us. So... You're part of something that God is doing in the world. I'm going to just do a couple very quick applications. One of the ideas on, on collaboration is this. Um, Paul is committed to what you might call a plurality of leaders and, and elders. And this week I was so thankful for the, the plurality of leaders and elders. But this church always needs to be led by a group of leaders, not by individuals. In addition to that plurality of leadership, let's cultivate at Holy Trinity a spirit of collaboration. It's similar, but let's make this our work, not any individual's work. And As you think about this week, ask yourself, ask the Lord, how can you grow in humility? (laughs) What are the spaces and areas where you can be more appreciative of what God has done for you? And then let's give ourselves to being servants, joyful service, focused on Christ. He's the one who was crucified for us. He has given his Holy Spirit to us. Let's let him build the unity within us. The church belongs to God, not to any personality. And human-centered projects eventually stunt the people of God. But Christ-centered collaboration exalts the Son of God. So let's exalt him with our eyes on him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that that this church and all the churches in Chicago don't belong to any of us, and that you could so quickly remove us. Lord, our hearts uh, do ache with those who have been hurt by uh, churches and leaders, and we ask that you would guard us against... Uh, this psychic kind of power, Lord, this this way in which we can have undue influence over one another, and let your Spirit flow through us to glorify Christ and make a difference in this city. Uh, establish the work of your hands, we pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.